0: Welcome to the CREXI podcast, an insider's look at all things commercial real estate. I'm Ashley Kopovich, regional director at CREXI, and today's host. Each episode, the CREXI team dives into a broad range of topics and conversations with featured experts to investigate trends, educate listeners, and understand the latest industry news in commercial real estate. As the nation's fastest growing online CRE platform, we're excited to provide a window into the inner workings of commercial real estate for this generation and the next. Welcome and thank you all for joining us for this episode of the Crexy podcast, an insider's look at all things commercial real estate. Today, we are thrilled to sit down with Wendy Mann. Wendy Mann is the CEO of CREW, which is Commercial Real Estate Women Network. With 30 years of association management experience, Wendy brings a passion for commercial real estate her strategic vision for the association, and a commitment to mentoring and advancing women to the crew network. She believes that connecting, collaborating, and communicating are key to our success in building relationships and creating change within the industry. Wendy is committed to ensuring that the crew network chapters and affiliate groups are strengthened through best practices, aligned through our mission, and engaged through leadership development is dedicated to working collaboratively with like-minded organizations and companies that make diversity and inclusion a priority. Wendy hails from rural Pennsylvania, lives in Arlington, Virginia, and works in Lawrence, Kansas. She loves travel, fiction, adventure, and dogs, of course. (laughs) (laughs) And with that, let's dive in. Uh, so Wendy, would you do us a favor and just share a little bit about your background? So maybe start with how did you get into commercial real estate and and then where did that career path take you?
1: Well, thanks, Ashley, and thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here with Grexi and I love this whole idea of not just bringing technology in this platform now, but into the future. and and some of us will be, uh, uh, kicking and screaming into the technology future of commercial real estate but you guys are leading it so that's great a uh, great question <laughs> What? why
0: we'll get them there and either way
1: right regardless regardless well I like your question about um how I got to commercial real estate so it's interesting because uh my husband has been in commercial real estate for almost 20 years and um But he has worked in the human resource side, but he's he worked for Equity Office Properties, uh, uh, Freddie Mac, and now he works for a small local REIT in the Washington, D.C. market. And so I've been around it for a long time, but uh, about maybe mm, seven years ago, I I had been working in the Washington, D.C. Association community uh, for, you know, 25, 30 years, and, uh, finally landed a job at NAOP, the Commercial Real Estate Development Association. And I have been around commercial real estate talking with my husband for so many years that, uh, I kind of clicked with me right away that I just love the idea of, of building communities and understanding. It's it's so much more strategic than people realized of, you know, I think about, you know, um, Street corners now in such a different way than I did 10 years ago. So I like this idea of understanding a strategy for what we're going to put where how it's going to like fan out into a community and what we're bringing um, to the area. Uh, So When I was at NAOP, I just fell in love. We did a lot of research there. So I really got a deep education in the whole process. And uh, then when crew came and tapped me on the shoulder, I thought this is perfect because it matches my love of commercial real estate with my lifelong commitment to women and um, advancing women, mentoring women. And so I just thought it was such a great way to integrate my personal passion for uh, women and supporting women with commercial real estate uh, industry that I love.
0: Oh, I love that, Wendy. That was a fantastic background and a really great segue, I think, into my next point. So you, you mentioned, um, you know, one of your passion is mentoring women, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and kind of being that advocate, which um, thankful, I'm thankful for that. I think that we all need it. Um, but who were some of your key mentors, you know, along the way? And, you know, what were some of the important lessons that they taught you?
1: yeah so it's interesting the first you know I grew up in a rural town and there weren't a lot of female role models uh, most of the women I knew in our town were housewives not not that there's anything wrong with that but um so my first the first woman I ever saw that I thought wow she's amazing was Barbara Walters which is ironic now because here you are my very own Barbara Walters <laughs> interviewing me um but I always thought, wow, well, wouldn't it be cool to grow up and meet new people and interview them and ask questions? And so um, I didn't do that. <laughs> I ended up doing uh, going in a different direction. But, but two people who really influenced me, one was um, my first CEO, the first time I reported directly to a CEO, a gentleman by the name of Steve Carey. And I was 24, and he hired me to be on the senior team. And I thought... God, the guy's crazy. I don't even know what I'm doing, but he thinks I have potential. So I'm just going to go with it. And he was just the best person to build your confidence, to give you the latitude, to try things and fail. He encouraged me and believe it or not, I love public speaking now, but back then I hated it. And he forced me to get in front of people and speak. And I just, you know, to this day, I see him on the stage and watch how he did things. And I think he was such a good leader that he encouraged you he gave you confidence and latitude and i think those were really important things and then my second one is a woman um her name was susan sarfati she was also the second she was my second ceo and um susan just you know she had this uh, brilliant mind and she taught me and influenced me um uh, two things think big and perseverance so you're not going to get it done maybe the first time, the first day, the first month, but keep persevering. If you have a big idea, it's probably a great idea. So those are two people that I think were great influences.
0: Oh, that's perfect. I love both of those lessons as well. I mean, the first one to, you know, at 24, I could imagine I, I would feel the same way being on, on such yeah. a team or reporting to such mm-hmm. a high level, but it's amazing that he was able to encourage you. and. Now, for myself, leading team members, um, you know, encouragement is so crucial and, and opening up the space to let someone try and let someone fail and let someone learn from that is just really big. So that's fantastic you learned that, um, you know, at such a young age. Oh. And then, second, you know. Also, I'm I'm in sales, so perseverance rings. <laughs> day. I bet. Yeah, I started mm-hmm. my career, um, but but it really is. You know, a lot of people have these fantastic ideas, but it's really just about believing in yourself and persevering. It's not mm-hmm. the if; it's the when, right? Mm-hmm. So, also learning that. Um, you know, I think those are really two important lessons. So, yeah. thank
1: you. But so so I will just tell you that another woman in sales once told me that if someone tells her no, she takes that as a maybe
0: yeah absolutely It was brilliant um, yeah that that is you know if, if it's not a no maybe it's not right now but right we'll sort of back and uh, you know, I'll, I'll come you up on the, know. you know six months down the line and and it might be a perfect partnership at that point life is all about timing um as sure. well you know keep going keep going back that's a great attitude to have thanks for sharing you're welcome um so in, ter- in terms of it getting into a little bit of the topic uh, that we're speaking about today, you know, Wendy, I know that you're super passionate um, and you're a champion of, you know, DEI in commercial real estate. So talk to us about when you first started getting uh, passionate about that and kind of what, what the spark there was.
1: So you may, you may laugh about this, Ashley, I'm much older than you. So you did not grow up in the times I grew up in, but I will tell you, I remember being in, even in elementary school, but particularly in high school, I just remember looking at the the boys and thinking, God, they get away with everything. They can do everything. They can go everywhere. They, you know, and and there was no judgment. There was just acceptance. And I thought, you know, I, I want to be a guy I want to have. And so it was very young. I was very young when I thought, you know, this is, this is crap. You know, women should be able to and equal to do anything that men can do. And, and, he, you know, as I got older and I became into the workforce, I realized that, that, that my feeling about that was not the norm that, uh, especially because I came into the, the workforce here in Washington, uh, DC in the, uh, it was mid eighties. And, uh, I tell you my first job out of college, I worked at a place where, um, and I won't name them, but I worked at a place where women were required to wear pantyhose every day and not allowed to wear pants. And I thought, this is crazy. And so when you you grow up in that kind of hierarchy and those kinds of decisions, it becomes even more of a, you know, for me as the rebel, a challenge, like, what do you mean I have to wear pantyhose? You know, you can make a lot of rules around the workplace, but so of course that doesn't exist today. But But so you see that all these things build up. And and so I think it started for me at a very young age. And I think what matters to me is that I don't want anyone to feel like I did when I was younger, that I had to stifle myself or that I had to um, follow these guardrails, that everything was possible and open to me. Um, I want everyone to feel that, even though for me it wasn't. And I think that we have so, so much different now for the younger generation that I think there's less and less of what I went through. But so that was really the impetus for me. Um, and then because I had success very early in my career and and I should say success, I had opportunity. It was up to me. Um, you know, I had a lot of failure too, but, um, and I think what I always wanted to do was reach my hand back to reassure the younger generation coming up behind me that you've got this, you can do this put your mind to it, focus, whatever, whatever it would take. And so I always at wherever I was in my career and you can, my husband always says, there's a little trail of Wendy followers who really loved you and loved working for you. And I think it was because of that leadership style of encouragement and, uh, and giving people the opportunity to shine.
0: Absolutely. That, that was so well put. And, you know, I, I am happy that we've taken so many strides, right. Um, in the workforce today, there's, there's still things that we need to do, right. Um, that need to be done, but you know, there has been a, a huge step towards that and it's people like you, Wendy, right. Who, who encourage and who make sure to, you know, leave a path, right. Um, leaving by example and bringing people up with you. Right. Um, I think there's a quote, and I might butcher it, but you know, it's be being a strong woman, and and maybe wait, may we raise strong women, right? Mm-hmm. Whether that's physically having children yourself, or or just being that mentor and being yeah. that guide for um, for women to grow up strong and to be able to have their place mm-hmm. in the workforce, I think is fantastic.
1: Yeah, absolutely yeah.
0: agree. <laughs> absolutely. You were you
1: were very close on that quote. Yes. May we may we be strong women? Uh, may we raise strong women? And then there's a third thing I can't remember. There is a third
0: thing. (laughs) I need to look at the Google machine and see what the actual. Shame shame
1: on us, strong women, that we don't know that. But yes, I I know where you're from. So
0: perfect. Well, thanks for that. so moving into, you know, kind of our second topic, I would, uh, you know, historically getting more into commercial real estate, you know, um, our industry's track record, um, you know, what what has that looked like in terms of, you know, diversity and inclusivity? Um, I believe that that crew had recently done a, um, a benchmark metrics um, from 2020 and, and kind of did some studies and reports. Um, so can you kind of touch on that and what it's previously looked like in terms of commercial real Real estate and and diversity and inclusivity.
1: I'd love to. You know, um, we we started doing the uh, benchmark study in two thousand five, so that there was some um, some organization, and we we were going to be it to benchmark the status of women in the industry. And uh, so, in twenty twenty, it was the one, two, three, fourth time we did it, right? And the sad, the saddest thing about it. Um, is that there was very little progress for women between 2015 and 2020. And gosh, I wish I could tell you why actually I will tell you why. Um, but but I, I, I think it was very disappointing because we we feel like we've come so far and yet we really haven't. I will say this that I believe that there was there was a lot more progress between 2005 and 2015 than there was between 2015 and 2020. Um, And I think that perhaps um, people got complacent. And and I also wonder sometimes if if people in leadership who are many, you know, this industry still is relatively male. Uh, white male at the top. Um, if they got complacent, these leaders, because they said, "Oh, we have one woman in senior management, we're good," or "We have one woman at each level, we're good." And uh, and and it, you know, I'm not, I don't know if that's fact, but I wonder sometimes if there was just a complacency around it. So it was very disappointing, but I'm not uh, disheartened because I think that uh, the fact that we didn't have much progress has raised the bar and, and encouraged more women to become more vocal and for the male leaders to listen. And it's helped crew say, all right, we're digging in the next five years. We don't want to come up short again, you know? So I will say this, there's one area that did have progress and it was on the brokerage side. The number of women brokers rose from, uh, I think it was 25% up to 29%. I think it was, a well, maybe, I think it was a 6% increase. So whatever my numbers are there look but but, for, for us uh, for our, our partner SIOR, they've been really working on getting more women into brokerage, so that was a success. So I think there are little pockets like that, but overall, it was disappointing.
0: Yeah, no, I I, I absolutely agree. So I would love to um to pick your brain, and you kind of went into this a little bit, Wendy. Is why do you think that um, the growth has been so slow, or you know, why has it been so challenging um, for, you know, minority groups to get into commercial real estate?
1: Well, so I think a couple things, uh, there's two parts to your, to this answer. I think there's been a lack of pressure to change. Um, I think there's been a leadership at the top, which I've talked about. Uh, I also think there's still a mentality, an old school mentality at the top. And my theory is, is that we have this large group of male leaders who are, baby boomers who are going to exit uh, the business in the next five to seven years. And when they do, we're going to see a younger generation of of male leaders come in that, uh, and more women leaders, but they have a different perspective on women. Many of them had working wives and they have a marriage that's more a partnership, not a um, more traditional, if if you you will. So I think there'll, there'll be a different type of male leader in the industry. Um, not to say that uh, the the traditional kind of thinking will go away, but I think we'll start seeing more shifts. Um, And I think to your point on uh, seeing more uh, diversity, just generally wanting to come into the industry, I think that's a bigger question around career path, career choices, and awareness about uh, job opportunities in commercial real estate.
0: Absolutely. And, you know, I I would agree with you about, um, you know, kind of the old school mentality, but hoping, hoping that is changing in the future. You know, I think that we've made huge progresses over this past year in 2020 on recognizing things and and how we need to do better. So hopefully that will contribute, you know, to the larger changes that's going to push the commercial real estate development. Um, you know, I, I just had someone, and, and this was very heartening for me, um, a man who, an older man who I, I respect and is kind of been a mentor to me. And we were playing this game um, with a group of friends and it was, what's one word that you think of um, when you think of Ashley and all of the friends had to go around and say that one word. And he said, Oh, that's easy. Boss. Right. And I was like, yes. Okay. <laughs> you know. I was like, all right, we're making yeah. progress. And you're like, yeah. this is it. This is someone that I, I super, um, so- Respect in the industry and, and has been a mentor to me. So, hearing that, I think, um, to your point too, is just opening up for that encouragement and hopefully will we'll lead the future as well.
1: Well, and you know, to that point of what you're talking about, and uh, is I think that what our research, the benchmark study also told us about this issue is that what's happening is that um, there's directives from the top down wanting change and more diversity. There's um, push from the bottom up. And to this point about the younger generation and millennials, employees that overall are demanding more diversity and inclusion. And then you have from the outside, you have your clients and your business partners that are saying, you know, we're not gonna partner with you anymore. And so I, I liken this to the to the box closing in on these ideals, and right. it's creating pressure from the top and down, the bottom up and from the sides. And I think that's going to cause an explosion of change because it's not going to be accepted as, the, as okay anymore not to have diversity. And here's the other thing. I mean, so many studies have shown that having women on your board, women in executive management, um, you're a more profitable company. And, you know, to me, commercial real estate is, is the business about making money. And that's okay. But look at these studies that are saying if you have more women, you'll make more money. Who doesn't want that? Sign me up, you know, sign me up. So I think there's real hope there.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. I I, I love that. Maybe some people need to read some of those studies a little bit
1: more. <laughs> I'll tell you, Kin- Kinsey study, go ahead.
0: <laughs> there we go. I'm going to print them out and send them to a bunch of people. <laughs> uh oh. Wendy, that's great. Um, So, you know, coming in, and I know I was just touching a little bit on 2020, just being, you know, a a transformative year, um, a lot of things that we, we dealt with as a society. So we obviously collectively observed a monumentous shift in businesses pledging to improve diversity and equity in their organizations. But of course, actions speak louder than words. Right, Um, so what does the commercial real estate industry need to do um, to make actionable improvements in the workplace? So what are key things potentially to keep in mind at certain organizations when developing plans? What's your insight on that?
1: So this is really gonna shock you, but the very first thing companies need to do, and it's an action, is to hire more people from diverse backgrounds. I know that's not rocket science, but here's, I know it's shocking, but here's the thing is that, you know, um, if if we are not going out and actively uh, pursuing people, then shame on us. We should, you know, there should be some kind of requirement um, that X percent of candidates need to have diverse backgrounds. And until you set, you know, I'm not a fan of quotas, but until you set some guidelines and some rules around uh, who you're bringing in to even interview, you're not going to get, you're not. Now, That's not to say everyone needs to be qualified for sure. I think it's going to take more effort on a company's part to find those qualified people, but why not? Why not find the best and the brightest with diverse backgrounds that bring innovative and creative ideas? So I think that's number one. Uh, Number two, I think pay parity has got to happen. I think that women and uh, people of color are not accepting. I mean, why should black women or Asian women or Latinx women make um, in our study, it was significantly less. Um, overall, women made 50, 56% less than men. And on, uh, that's overall bonus and commission. Why should? Why is that acceptable? And I think the numbers go up from there. For Black women, it was 75%. For Asian women, it was 76%. For Latinx, it was, uh, I think it was closer to 80%. Uh, yeah, 80%. So I think pay parity is a really fundamental thing. And And it's easy because it's factual, right? You're paying people money, just do a study. So I think that's number two. I think sponsoring, um, having sponsors within the company is really important. And I've talked to um, both men and women of color who are on the brokerage side in companies um, that have said, look, they hired me and then they threw me to the wolves. I had no support. I had no guidance. I need a sponsor. I need someone who can bring me to the table, who can give me opportunities. So I think it's not just hiring. I mean, it goes to inclusion, right? It's not just hiring people; it's um, helping them find their way and get their feet so that they can be a, a good producer for the company. Um, so, I think those those are my top three things that I think are really important.
0: And and I think those three those three things are supremely important right you know um the question about finding those types of people you know we should surround ourselves with people with different backgrounds than us maybe a different thinking i mean that's how we all grow you know if we're all sitting around with the room you know with the same background and the same thought process we're not going to grow as individuals we're not going to have those you know, really big thought-provoking ideas that is going, that's going to change the world. So, you know, go out of your way and, and do that. I 100% agree. Um, you know, pay equality, of course. I'm on that <laughs> one. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, being a woman myself, you know, we, we definitely need to, to close that gap. Absolutely. Um, and then having sponsors, you know, having those mentors. I, I asked you that question in the beginning, and it's one of the things that, I, looking back, would have told my 22-year-old self, you know, get a mentor, get multiple mentors, right? Um, I can't tell you how important my mentors are today in my life, you know, in in important decisions, and I wish that I just had that sooner. So if any companies, you know, are listening to this, definitely have, you know, some sort of mentorship structure within your organization, and then encourage people as well to go outside that organization, you know, and, and find mentors on your own. I think that's... It's supremely important.
1: So, Ashley, I just want to clarify on that point. Um, you, meant, you say the word mentorship, I use the word sponsorship. I think mentors are really important as um, a thought partner, as someone who can give you uh, guidance and wisdom. But a sponsor is an advocate for you within the company. And I think we all need that advocate because they're the voice for you at a table where you aren't present. They're the one who are going to point to you and say, Hey, I think she's got something. Let's bring her up. She's high potential. So you need both the mentoring because you need that thought partner, but you also need a sponsor and a sponsor. You know, I've heard women tell me like, I didn't think I was ready for, XYZ promotion until my sponsor said to me, you can totally do this. So I think that um, there's, there's a a difference and they're both important elements to your growth and development in any company, but particularly in real estate, commercial real estate, where a lot of business gets done by, you know, men hanging out on the golf course or at the water cooler. And, and I think that still happens and I don't think it's intentional or malicious. I just think that it, it naturally happens. So I think being intentional about matching, uh, ex, uh, executive leader sponsors with high potential people within the company who are diverse, diverse um, backgrounds is really important.
0: Absolutely, thanks so much for that clarification and that makes total sense. So Wendy, my question to you in terms of a follow-up question, do you think that it is on the company to appoint the sponsors to individuals that are coming on? Um, And if they don't do that, how can the individual themselves kind of get that sponsor, so to speak?
1: So I would love if companies adopted a policy that said, Every every person we um, hire is going to have a sponsor, or maybe maybe it's more of a mentor when they first come on board. Sponsorship is typically something that you um, you grow into because you find someone who identifies your potential, or you work with in the company to say, I you know. So it's, there's no problem with going to the HR department and saying, "Look, I want a sponsor," or, or "Look, I'd like a mentor." Um, and I'll give you an example. My son is 27, and he works for JLL. And his first three years there, every every summer for four months, he had a different uh, mentor. So he would get to to ask someone within the company if they they would be his mentor. And he picked people all over the country. What a rich experience to be learning from people. And these were senior people and they'd meet once a month or twice a month by phone or video call, but it really helped enrich his um, experience, helped him learn, helped him figure out, you know, in in the the companies like that, there's a lot of different directions you could go. So and, and and he's he's a guy, but they did it for every new employee. So the women they hired the same thing. But I think you know it's a very smart uh, strategy uh, to do that because it helps groom the young professional. It helps them be matched with a senior person. Um, so I think that both on the mentorship side and the sponsorship side, those are good policies to have from the day someone walks in the door, especially if you're hiring people from diverse backgrounds and you're hiring people that may be transitioning from one industry to another. You can't let people, you know, throw a phone on a desk and say, start making calls. And that's the, the business is like that. I don't know if it's still like that, but you're pretty much on your own. And it's in a one way it's great because you're very entrepreneurial. In another way it's, it's daunting because you don't even know where to begin.
0: Yep, absolutely. I I completely relate to that and I I love that JLL is doing that. I think that's a company that we everyone can learn from. And I think that also from the individual's perspective, it builds uh, brand recognition and it builds, you know, happiness at your job saying that these people really care about me. They want to enrich, you know, my experience and my learning and my growth. So I'm going to stay here for, for a long time, right? Um, especially in the day and age where people are flip-flopping back and job so easily, yeah. right? going to build you know confidence when when someone you know dedicates their time to you you feel more valued and then you want to stay at that at that place longer in my opinion
1: well they say there's no no such thing as loyalty anymore with the younger generation but i do agree with you that if you do things like that it does build some sense of loyalty and and so even though someone may not stay forever like they used to they do right. have sense of obligation and that commitment to because they've invested in you that you want to make sure you're giving back, so.
0: Right, right, absolutely. Um, so one question, Wendy, that I did have that we brought up um, a little a little while ago, and we, we kind of got off um, a little bit into a tangent, which I loved, um, but it sparked an interest. So I know we were talking about companies making sure that they are going out of their way to find and hire these diverse candidates. Um, I'm sure you are familiar with the Wells Fargo um uh, research that drew up a lot of criticism, right? Where people were saying, uh, and I quote, there are simply not enough qualified diverse individuals to recruit from, um, to fill upper level positions. So what are your thoughts on that? Um, and, you know, if, if there are any companies that are good examples of making progress in this space?
1: So what I say when people say uh, there aren't enough you know, qualified diverse candidates, I say, look harder. They're not going to be streaming through your door. This is going to be an intentional, proactive search that you're doing. And I just got off the phone. I had a call uh, yesterday with a company and they gave me a list of like five organizations they're working with to find diverse candidates. They're a financial services company. So I was talking to them about partnering with crew and we were having a great conversation, but I would, I was so impressed with the list of of organizations that they're already working with. And so it, it kind of, if you really are um, are looking for and commit committed to this, you're going to go out and find organizations that cr- help you create that talent pipeline that are, are both grooming. And so, you know, a lot of people are now focused on the HBCUs. Great, great place. There are a lot of, of, uh, student organizations on campuses, but there are also organizations out there that are looking to help place uh, candidates who are diverse in the fields. I think part of the issue for commercial real estate is we're we're still relatively unknown as such a great career path. Uh, So we're, and Crew's working on that. We'll talk about that later. Uh, But I do say, you know, you have to look harder you have to set requirements and hold staff accountable. And by that, I mean, hiring managers need to be held accountable. What if you you set, and I said this earlier, set a certain percentage of your candidates have to be diverse. Um, so, and, and that's both, I want to note this too, because it's both visible as well as invisible diversity, because there's a lot of diversity out there that is invisible. So we can't just be focused on optics, but both understanding that there are other uh, ways that people are diverse in the workforce. So um, I think that those are some of the things that I would say. And there's, there's ways. Where there's a will, there's a way. That's what I believe.
0: Absolutely. And I appreciate that overview. Um, so if you were to, to kind of sum up what the most important thing to focus on uh, for improving diversity and equity in commercial real estate, what would those be?
1: Build your talent pipeline using organizations like Crew Network. Um, we have a number of ways you can do that. Um, Reese, the Real Estate Executive Council, the Association for Asian American Realtors. There are a lot of organizations out there that can be a channel and funnel. Um, and I, the other thing I would say is that uh, you, you as a company need to uh, uh, culturally shift your mind and your thinking. It's not just about hiring one or two or three people, but it's the inclusion piece as well. I mean, there are still stories today about women being excluded from fishing trips or hunting trips with the guys. Um, Inclusion is a huge part of it. So, and this is something that I've learned um, over the last several years, which is uh, you can have all the diversity you want. If there's not inclusion, people aren't going to stay. So I think that it, it goes together. You can't just do one and not the other. So don't bring in diverse um, employees and set them free. You've sure. got to have the inclusion piece as well.
0: Absolutely. And are there different ways that you personally uh, fostered inclusion or would like to see that more fostered um, you know, in the workplace?
1: You know, Ashley, that's a wonderful question. And I think that we are all responsible as leaders for fostering The atmosphere within a company and it's incumbent upon the leaders uh, from the top down so I have this saying I always say the fish rots from the head down and because and that was from my my CEO that I mentioned my first CEO that was my best leader Um, that was what he used to say to me Wendy back then he always had a cigarette because everybody smoked back then Wendy the fish rots from the head down and Of course I'm 24 so I'm like, I don't even know what that means. But I think that in this context about fostering, we as leaders, the CEO of every single company is responsible for people feeling like they belong there. And if they don't hold those under them accountable, It has to be that domino effect throughout the company. And so guess what? There's no more golf outings where people aren't participating. There's no more fishing trips. Um, That's a really hard change for this industry, I think. Or I think there's another, there's like poker and cigar night. Not that I wouldn't mind a cigar every now and then, but I'm not good at poker. So for me, I think that what we are responsible for as leaders to foster that is that we need to make sure that we're checking in with our people. We need to make sure that we're carrying the message up and down. And if we see a problem, uh, we need to tell the person above us or the person above them because it's not going to change on its own. And if one person feels in a culture, they feel that there's not there's something missing for them or they're being left behind or they're not getting that morale boost, it's going to hurt the whole company. And if you bring people in who are diverse and they don't share the same passion for the same things... Uh, you got to find something that everybody can do. I'll tell you, I mean, I've been in organizations where we've gone bowling. I am not a bowler. In fact, I think I won the award that year for bowling the lowest score. I mean, the highest yes. score. Whatever was the losing, I was it. Um, I, I remember last holiday season, our staff did a um, ceramic painting day. And I thought, why are we doing this? We have men on our staff. They aren't going to like it. And you know what? They went and they painted. I, you know, I thought, Okay but it's checking in and saying, okay, is this something that we're all going to be part of that we can all benefit from? And so I think there's a very big, deep level of responsibility. And as a leader, you have to be emotionally intelligent and empathetic enough to say, see that and act on it.
0: Absolutely. Wendy, I couldn't have said it better, better myself. it 100% comes from the top down. And, you know, I'm, I'm excited to see how we start to change. And, you know, as people become, you know, different leaders who are more inclusive and who welcome that diversity and kind of uh, change from the older ways that typically have um, kind of dominated commercial real estate, how that changes to make sure that everyone, you know, knows about commercial real estate, as you said, and that is a good career path, right? So hopefully that just continues to increase and and kind of get better in terms of that way. So I appreciate that answer. Um, Going into kind of our fourth topic here, um, kind of back into 2021, um, let's talk about COVID. Um, It was a very significant year, obviously, in terms of COVID-19, and its varying impact on commercial real estate. So my first question to you is, uh, cruise members work across all asset classes. So what pain points have they observed due to the pandemic?
1: Yeah, that's the wonderful thing about our organization that we represent all the disciplines. And we say you could do a deal in commercial real estate from start to finish just with crew members. And I think from that perspective, you've seen a lot of different pain points. You know, we have a lot of folks in office who are feeling the pain of, you know, no one's in the office and and all of the, the headlines reading and no one's coming back. Uh, we don't know that. Um, so I think that there's just a really a great deal of uncertainty for certain asset classes. Industrial, on the other hand, the prom queen, you know, just really you know, going wildfire. And I think that uh, something like uh, that has been driven by e-commerce because everyone's home and it's just accelerated uh, phenomenally. Um, But I would say the biggest pain point for commercial real estate women um, in our network has been um, the fact that they've had to be uh, the caretaker, the school teacher, the uh, colleague, uh, all of those things wrapped into one. And this is not saying that there weren't husbands that helped or were partners in this. But I, I think from our perspective, we've heard from a lot of women and you've seen the headlines. The mass exodus of women from the workforce in general has been um, unbelievable, and uh, you know, I think that represents a real challenge for the first future, which we may get to. But I think so. The pain point for women um, in our business has been the uh, disparities in asset class of what's happening. Where we, we have a lot of uh, folks who are in retail and a lot of folks who are in office. Um, so I think that. I also think we've seen a big hit on the construction side because everything that was in underway in 2020, once it completed, there wasn't a lot in the pipeline because there was so much uncertainty. Now, I understand there are a lot of transactions going on. And I'll tell you, honestly, probably many of our our members have said, I'm so busy. I'm so busy. Some of it's doing, you know, closing things up and and doing, taking care of of clients. And in fact, the multifamily people have been really hit hard with trying to figure out you know, how to, to keep things going and support their tenants at the same time, uh, support their business. So I think it's been a, a bit of a, a jigsaw puzzle of where things fit together and keep kept going and where things were, were kind of falling by the wayside. Um, but I think from a professional standpoint, it was uh, managing both your work and life balance. And uh, and I don't think that's, a, you know, it's it goes always. And I think you'll remember the, um, the gentleman um, was giving an interview back in probably maybe the fall sometime and his, his son walked into his office behind him going, wow!" so it happens to men and women and we're, we were all trying to balance it. But I do think that was a, probably a, a big pain point for our, and I think there's a, um, a, a movement among our, our group as well. I think the shining beacon was that crew network is such a close knit group that as people were losing their jobs, People were. We have a very um, uh, robust online community, and as soon as someone would post that they they recently lost their job, this is what they were looking for. Immediately, uh, people were saying, "Oh, I know this person. I can connect you to that person," or "I've heard about this." And so there was that upside as well uh, to the pain point.
0: Oh, there's a silver lining and, and that's so heartwarming, right? Mm-hmm. To be able to have that community um, and be able to reach out when you're down and have people who are right there to help, um, you know, kind of foster your your continuation and and hope that nothing, um, you know, you don't kind of skip a beat there. So that's I, fantastic to <coughs> have that network of women to, to kind of lift each other up. So um, appreciate that. Um one of the things that I would love to know and you kind of hit on it um in the in two questions ago is that leaders definitely need to be empathetic, right? And and be emotionally intelligent and aware. I think that came into play especially with me leading leading a team all throughout last year, right? Everyone's going through something different in a normal life, plus you have a pandemic and you don't know what's happening behind closed doors. So being empathetic was really huge, especially last year. But what are some of the top things that you personally learned about le- being a leader in commercial real estate during the COVID-19 pandemic?
1: Well, I think the most important things that I've learned during this pandemic um, are, there are things I've talked about already, but um, I believe that all things are possible, right? So, you know, when this thing hit, uh, I just thought, stay positive, and I have three, the three A's of staying positive in a pandemic are your attitude, your approach, and your action. So how for me to get people also to believe all things are possible, it's how I approach them. It's my attitude and it's the actions that I took. So I feel like that was the first thing. Um, I also really instituted this feeling within the organization, both with the staff and the members of um, everybody lives together. We have to work together to make these things happen. I can think up all these great things, but I can't make them happen without all of us working together. And then the final thing is uh, that, you know, we always just to say um, crisis is the mother of invention, but I think uncertainty became the mother of invention, right? Or the mother of innovation, if you will, because, you know, things happened pretty quickly last uh, March. And if you didn't pivot, you, you, you got behind. And so I was really proud of our ability to move really quickly at the very outset and make changes and decisions that could move us. So I think that innovation um, was really an important part of our DNA and our culture, and will remain with us now because we did that, so.
0: And that's fantastic. And it's clear right there, you know, implementing the three A's and and leading by example, Wendy, you were able to do it quickly keep going for your members and, you know, kind of not let them skip a beat, right? So um, let's talk about as a business network, how has Crew, you know, then delivered some of the value uh, to its members in the last year? What were some of the new things that you implemented?
1: Well, you know, when we pivoted in March, the first thing we did was um, we got Spencer Levy to come on and tell us what's going on and what's you know what's like going to happen. And he's fabulous. And so it was great to have that. But the big things we did, you know, we just kind of threw out the, the strategic plan. We threw out our playbook for the year and we said, we have got to deliver value immediately, and what do members need? What do clients need? I mean, I know everybody was feeling that same way. Um, and so what we did was we immediately, we have 77 chapters in North America and in a global affiliate in the UK, and we immediately gave Zoom accounts to all of them. And it was critical because these are local groups who are used to only doing face-to-face. At Crew Network, because we're global, we've been using Zoom for years. Um, but the the chapters were like, what do we do? We've always met in person. And so we gave them the accounts, we trained them, we got them up and running like that. And that was a game changer for us. And it was that split second decision at the very outset that really helped us keep together. And then the other thing that I mentioned that really became an important component was our online community. We have a very robust communication going on it was it was already working really well. in fact our engagement rates were over 90 percent uh, but the pandemic it became an even more important place to go for information to ask questions. so we started another series online called in brief where when someone would post a question about um, force majeure or uh, you know the uh, red rebates uh, we immediately got someone who was qualified and expert who was commenting on it to write a brief. And then we'd post that out there on the community so that everybody could have access to that. So those kind of value-added benefits were crucial to our success, and to create keeping that network together and making people feel connected is the other thing. So it, it was. I, I'm really proud of what we did um, over the past 12 to 18 months. So.
0: Likewise I mean just just hearing all of that Wendy and continuing to try to educate your members and create this community even if we can't be in person but still feel close and you know arguably even more connected than previously right because you have yeah. people who you know, aren't in the same city or wouldn't travel, you know, they have other things going on that now can meet over Zoom and can connect and, and create that bond. So I have chills over here, but that's, that's fantastic. And that's <laughs> that's great. Like cool about, yeah. You know, so yeah. uh, I really appreciate that and everything you've yeah. done with Crew um, over the past year. Thank you. Now so I know we were, we were talking about this. Um, it came up a little bit earlier, but the pandemic, you know, I would love to to hear your um, understanding and findings on how the pandemic has impacted women working in commercial real estate, right? Before there's been, you know, mass exodus from women in the workforce Mm -hmm. in general, obviously including commercial real estate. Um, So I would love to understand your thoughts on that and how we keep women in real estate and in the workforce moving forward post COVID.
1: So I just—I mean, I think you probably already know this about me, Ashley. But now the whole world can know. I think women can do anything. We are master jugglers. <laughs> we are master jugglers. We are—we um, anticipate things. We are brilliant people. Um, and I—I I think that. Uh, Women have handled the pandemic super well, all things considered. I'm just telling you, I have seen women just shine during this pandemic. And I think there have been a lot of trouble. And so I think that how it's impacted them is they have become even more consummate jugglers, uh, figuring out how to do everything they need to do and get their work done and do it well. And I do believe that it brought out the very best in so many Unfortunately, in some women, they just said, I can't do this anymore. I have young children and I have um, these responsibilities and schools at. and what am I going to do? And so I get that, too. Um, so I think that uh, it impacted everyone differently. I think everyone um, shined brightly in the way that they needed to and could. Uh, but I also think that as things come back in COVID um, and the pandemic we come out of this time period, which I think will be sometime starting in the fall. I don't think it'll be sooner than that, but I think the big thing companies really need to think about is that remembering that companies who have women make more money and have more profitable bottom lines that they need to think more flexibly about work environment. Um, <laughs> women can do anything, anytime from anywhere, I I can tell you without a doubt that I've had women who were in the doctor's office on calls, women who are at a a softball field doing work. You know, we can do it. Be flexible. Be smart about it. Keep your smart, talented women on your team. And second, I think that companies need to promote on outcome and results and not look at the person that they knew or met you know, on the golf course or someone who they like um, that they spend a lot of time with. But really, I think those outcomes and results, and especially if we see more people um, working remotely, you know, I mean, there's a lot of thinking around they need, people need to be in the office so you can see them. If we move to more of a remote or a uh, flexible uh, telecommuting kind of workforce, We're going to have to really have goals and set accountability and promote and give bonuses on results. And I think in our industry, we already do a lot of that. But I think that it's really important for women pay equally on merit. I think that's uh, what companies need to do. And then the other thing this is really this may be controversial is don't decide for women. I think a lot of times companies may make a a decision that someone's pregnant, so we can't promote her because she's going to have a baby. They may not say it. They may just think it. But don't decide for women. Let women decide themselves whether the time is right for them, whether they're capable of it. Tap them on the shoulder. Um, Don't not give a, a woman a project because she's already busy. Ask her. Chances are she'll say, yes, of course I'll do it. Because why, Ashley? Because women can do anything at any time from anywhere.
0: Absolutely, Wendy. (laughs) Perfectly said. And I absolutely agree with you, especially on that last point, right? Don't, you know, step over someone because you're making assumptions for them. I mean, look at the prime minister of New Zealand dealing with COVID. Cases are the lowest. And she has a newborn or (laughs) Running around, I mean, let's go, women. Power <laughs> on, <laughs> yeah,
1: absolutely, absolutely.
0: The proof is right there. So, a uh, very well said, Wendy. Appreciate that. Um, moving on to to our fifth topic here, um, what larger industry trends, Wendy, suggest to you that commercial real estate is ready to commit to improving DEI? So, you know, maybe technological advancements or, you know, consumer focused REITs, you know, what do you, what larger industry trends might suggest that to you?
1: Well, you know, our industry has typically historically been very slow to change. I think about Bitcoin and um, blockchain and, you know, three, three or five years ago, uh, I had a colleague of mine saying crowdfunding is never going to happen. And now we see these, these, all of these, things really pushing forward, maybe not commercial real estate yet, but they will come. And so I think, you know, that uh, COVID has pushed innovation in ways that, and I've heard this from other, you know, the the Spencer Levy's of the world, that there's been an acceleration in innovation in technology, as well as the office, um, you know, deconstructing and reconstructing the office. So I think that we'll see that um, these trends that, they become more of a norm. So, right, acceleration is now the norm. We're not going to sit around and wait for things to come to us in this business in real estate. We are pressing outward. And I think about that in multifamily because they've learned so much about taking care of tenants in their building and and incorporating more technology or uh, new thinking, broader thinking about the possibilities. And so I think that, um, that those drivers that started in COVID will maintain and become the norm in our industry. So we'll see greater acceleration just as a rule, not as an exception. Um, I think I think entrepreneurship also has been a big uh, thing that we've seen, which in that, what I mean by that is if you look at things like workplace strategy, workplace safety, all of those things, companies became very entrepreneurial about how they were going to deliver that value to their clients. And I think we'll we'll see that remain a constant as well.
0: Absolutely. And do you do you find that commercial real estate is becoming more accessible, um, you know, to people recently or is that, um, you know, something that we still need to work on
1: when you say um, you mean new talent and talent coming into. Yeah. So. So here's the thing that's so interesting as I was thinking about this question is that when I talk to people and I say, you know, I'm in commercial real estate, they're like, oh, yeah, there's a lot of houses for sale in my neighborhood. And, I'm, I, and I have to say, no, that's not commercial real estate. I say, you know, then I have to go, well, do you go to the doctor's office? That's commercial. Do you go to the grocery store? That's commercial. So I think there's still such an, a lack of an awareness about it as a business and in an industry. So I think one of the things that crew has been doing that I think is really important are the crew career programs. We have a, a crew careers in high schools all throughout the country and in, uh, in North America and our Canadian chapters as well. Our chapters go into high schools every year, twice a year, and they educate young girls who are in junior or senior in high school about careers in commercial real estate. And they they bring in, you know, because we're multidisciplined, they bring in a broker, they bring in a developer, they bring in a lawyer, and they each talk about their role in a commercial real estate deal. So girls are like, oh, we can do that. Uh, so I think that awareness is important. Um, we also have a program called U-Crew at the university level where students who are in their junior or senior year in a real estate program, we help them transition. We teach them how to do a resume. We teach them how to, to um interview. We have, we teach them how to network because you know what, there's no networking class in, in uh, college. And so I think we're doing those two really great things to build the talent pipeline. I think they're a start. I also um, crew network was one of the founding members of a new website. Um, it's actually not that new anymore. I think it's been around now three years. It's called careers building communities and it's an interactive website that we are encouraging professors and uh teachers and counselors at the high school level to use to share um, so that students can see all the different ways that uh, they can have a career in some part of building a community. So I encourage everyone, if you haven't checked out careersbuildingcommunities.org, go check it out and share it with everybody. We need everybody to be going there and seeing. So I think that there's, there's some proactive things that we as an industry need to be doing. And I know that they're happening Crew Network is certainly doing them. I know that um, other organizations like us um, are also investing in that kind of talent pipeline building. But we are the one, we have a lot of diversity because we represent women, because we work with women. Um, and we've seen a lot more diverse young women getting our scholarships. We give 25 scholarships to university students. And it's amazing to see the diversity in those women as well. So I, I we're on the right path. You know, Rome wasn't built in a day. It's been 31 years for Crew. So I'm hoping it's not 30 more, but, um, you know, we're, you know, 10 more years. I'd love to really retire knowing that I've seen significant change.
0: Oh, that's, that's fantastic. And I think that's a huge, um, you know, commitment to you and and continuing to educate, right? Going into Mm -hmm. high schools and going into colleges, I think is fantastic, just spread the word because, you know, even myself as a young woman, I wasn't even thinking about commercial real estate until I was, you know, in the workforce for about five years. Mm -hmm. So being able to say, this is what you can do and opening up your eyes to, to new industry that you can be very successful and it can be lucrative for you is fantastic. So Thank you for for doing that initiative. Um, so in in conjunction with that, I, I think that that's a perfect segue to continue and and discuss what else that crew is doing in terms of uh, different initiatives and what you've been focused on uh, during your time as CEO. So Obviously, education, you know, is going to be a huge component. Um, But I know you talked about, you know, kind of global expansion, right? We touched on Canada, we touched on UK. Um, So speak to me a little bit about the Crew Network's global expansion.
1: Well, when I came on board in 2017, they had been talking about it for a number of years. And so that was the year, of course, my I think two months in the door that we actually launched our first global affiliate. So I didn't really know what I didn't know. Uh, But I I have to say that I give a lot of credit to those who came before me because they had this vision and knowing what I know now and what, you know, Crew Network is such a special organization for women in the industry. And we want every woman around the globe to be able to have that experience, to feel connected, whether you do business in the US or Canada or wherever, but to feel connected to others who share the journey that you're on and share the pain, share the the challenges and the the success. Um, And we have found uh, the more we've we've made inroads into, um, since we launched UK in 2017, we are now in process in Paris. Uh, India, Australia, and Mexico. Um, so we're seeing some real traction happening across the globe and we're very excited about it. And we just think it's important that everyone has access to an organization like this uh, to build each other up. And, you know, Cruise's four pillars are the business network, uh, leadership skills development, our research and our career programs. And so everyone should be able to benefit wherever you are in the world. And um, and it also goes to our fundamental Uh, You know, that DEI is our DNA, meaning that um, we want to experience the other cultures and the other uh, languages and the other experience of women all around the world to enrich our own experience wherever we are. And so I think it's a really important um, part of uh, giving giving that out into the world and then bringing it into the network.
0: That's amazing. I mean, the expansion that you have gone through in all of these new countries and cities, it's going to be amazing to hop onto a zoom call, you know, yeah. and people for logging in from Australia and India and all over. Um, that's going to be an amazing day. So excited, excited yeah. To, yeah. to those calls with you as well. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. It is very exciting. Um, so, yeah, and in and, and the other initiatives we're working on, one of you know, of course, we're doing a very deep dive on DEI. And what we've recently done is we want to walk our talk on DEI. So, what we created, um, what we call a, a playbook or more of a guidebook for all of our chapters on DEI so that they can do a better job of both um, onboarding new members who come from diverse backgrounds. Actually, doing more outreach, increasing ex- inclusivity and a welcoming environment, and um, we know that again, it's going to take time. I mean, Crew is predominantly a white woman organization. Uh, we have right now we've we've benchmarked you know our own data, and we have approximately ten percent of our members of our twelve thousand members, ten percent are women of color. Um, I should say they're women of color, uh, lesbian, or some other diverse background. We would love to see that be more. We want everyone to feel like they can be part of this, wherever you come from, whatever your background, race, ethnicity, sexual orientation, doesn't matter. Just come be part of this fantastic uh, organization that we have. So the the chapters are one place that we started. We're doing a significant amount of DEI training and development, and we invite both members and non-members because we want everyone to have access to that. In addition to that, our board is undertaking a governance review of all of our governing documents to make sure that there's nothing No systemic racism or anything that's creating barriers for anyone to come into the organization and feel part of us. So I'm really excited for that. I am uh, proud of the work the board's doing because that is hard work um, and and it's important work and it's the right thing for us to be doing. But more importantly, it's going to um, be meaningful long term for how we are changing not only our organization, but the industry itself.
0: Absolutely. I, th- I think that you hit the nail on the head right there. Um, you know, shaping the way that that we go about this in the future, you know, putting in those processes, redoing those things, it's important work, and it has to be done in order to, you know, continue to, to grow as a as an industry as an organization, um, and then as individuals, mm-hmm. right. So that, that's fantastic. Um, so the the I have two more questions for you here, Wendy. Um, I would love to understand what market trends you've observed in the last year, um, and how they will shape the year ahead. So particularly in a post-COVID world, hopefully it's it's by fall. Things are yeah. little, might be a little bit later, might be a little sooner, you know, yeah. depending on if your glass is half empty or half full. Um, but you know, would love to understand how that how that shapes the the world um, in the years to come.
1: Well, I think you already know my glasses always half full. I think all things are possible, so I'm going to say it's coming sooner rather than later—the end to this thing. But um, so, you know, I mean, looking at the trends that I've seen, I think I mentioned the uh, innovation acceleration becomes norm, entrepreneurship. But I think in when I look at the asset classes like retail, you know, um, you know, everybody said uh, the retail was dying a slow death the last 10 years because of e-commerce, you know, no offense to, you know, but, but we all know that we recognize. And I do think, and um, my concern and my sadness has been for the small boutique businesses that don't have deep pockets and the small communities or, or even these, these communities we've built where we have these small mom and pop shops that will lose them. And I think that's, we're losing something very enriching to the community when that happens. So I'm hopeful that even though, Retail looks dire right now. That it transforms and comes out in something that um, people will embrace and support. And I think you know the industrial market. We see that that's booming. It's just going to keep going. That there is no end. If I I tell people all the time, young people especially when I meet them, go into industrial. You'll have a job forever. You know between di- between data centers and fulfillment centers. I mean and who knows what else is next in that realm but I mean cold storage now with uh, the medication we're seeing the the boom in cold storage so um, so those those trends I've seen, Again, you know, I was on a call the other day with some of our members, and they're talking about the booming medical research buildings they're building now that have you know certain state-of-the-art equipment that we've learned from the pandemic. Those are going, you know, typically research might have been in a, a medical office building or a hospital. Now it's it's going to have its own special because we're going to be doing more of that kind of work. So there's a drive and trend in that direction. I think multifamily significant changes, um, in the safety protocols in the, um, uh, e-commerce delivery. I, I just heard the other day, someone's building, um, a, multi uh, multifamily building with e-commerce in the base, in the, in the bottom level of it. Um, so that, it can, you know, it's, it's totally a different twist, right? So there's all of these different innovations that I think we'll be seeing in the, the different. Office is the big one. I just, we was talking to someone from Calgary market and Calgary is the oil industry and they've just suffered for so long. And this has been, the pandemic has hit them extremely hard. They said their office occupancy in Calgary was 40%. Super, I can't believe how high that is. And so I think that we're gonna see a real change in the way offices look again. Um, and not that that's a bad thing. I think that they're the rethinking of that, all the open space, which honestly, I never really liked. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna throw that out there. Um, but, but I, I think there's a place for open space. I just think we're, there'll be a short term really rethinking of all of that. Um, and I also think that Everyone's saying office, you know, no one's going back to the office. I don't believe that. I mean, and even my son, who's the millennial, he said, you know what? I want to go back to the office. That's where I, I, I see my friends. I build relationships um, and he said, frankly, I live in a, a one-bedroom apartment in D.C. I'm tired of looking at the same four walls all day long. So I think that while we think that it's the millennials aren't going to go back or, you know, the older generation, they've gotten used to it now. I, I think people will miss the office at some point. And, and granted, it might not be an everyday thing, but I think we'll see office. It'll be OK, but it might take into 2025 till we really see a resettling. And then there's this whole other thing that context to it, which is this, um, more, that it, office more works like a, we work or a, um, a short-term temporary where you go in, you use some space, you leave. I mean, that was kind of already happening with hoteling, but I think it's, I think there'll be some more of that kind of thinking around it. Um, and it's all good, right? I mean, this is kind of that whole entrepreneur mindset, um, and, uh, innovation that will happen. and, and, make things different for us, but still good to have commercial space. So yeah. those yeah. are some of my thoughts.
0: Absolutely, and thank you for that insight. Uh, very much appreciated and, and thank you for going into all of the different asset classes and, and things like that. Um, and then one last, one last and final question. Um, what advice would you give colleagues working in commercial real estate? So either market related or career related or both.
1: So here's my advice, Ashley. There are, there are three really important things that I think people need to do. Number one is read everything you can get your hands on. Uh, I think uh, my staff thinks I'm crazy half the time, but I'm, I'm a headlines reader. I, I read every email that comes across. Is there anything in here, a tidbit that I can use for something? Knowledge is power. So read everything, even if you think it takes too much time, even if you think it uh, may not apply, um, and, then, and, and take that knowledge and connect dots that you can be the lead thinker, you can be the thought leader of how this ties into what you're doing or what your company is doing. So read everything. Um, The second thing is, remember this, and, and someone at Crew Network taught me this when I first came, but we always say at Crew Network, your network is your net worth. So make sure that you're investing in your network to get the net worth that you want. And I think that women sometimes will say, and this is, a gross generalization. It's not every woman, but women will sometimes say, I don't have time for that. I can't go to that lunch. I can't go to that happy hour. I've got kids at home. But every time you miss an opportunity to network, you miss an opportunity to invest in yourself and your career. So just make sure that you're missing the right ones and not the wrong ones and and show up for those, those office networking things where they're going out to lunch and they invite you. Don't decline that. I don't care if you have to work five more hours that night, you go to that lunch where they're talking about business because you need that seat at the table. So I I just be very intentional and smart about that. And then third um, I think, and I'm guilty of this too. I'm still guilty of it is a lot of women uh, put their head down and work really hard and think someone's going to come up and tap them on the shoulder and say, you've done great kid. We're going to give you that promotion. Don't sit and work with your head down, put your head up, walk around, be present. Make them know who you are and what you bring to the table every day.
0: Oh, I love that. Um, those are three extremely powerful uh, takeaways. I love the last one. Um, there's another quote. Hopefully, I'm not botching this one again. <laughs> but it's, be so good they can't ignore you, right? Uh- <laughs>
1: love that. Love that even if
0: it's wrong, I still love (laughs) it. I know. I put my own spin on it. Um, Be so good. They can't ignore you. You know, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, you know, equip yourself, educate yourself with reading everything like you do, make yourself seen and known and present. um, And then, you know, work hard and and definitely don't be afraid to show off your own uh, merits, right? No one's it for you ask ask for everything and and maybe you'll receive you know you don't ask you definitely don't receive so all right
1: I always say what's the worst you can hear is no and then you have it and then you have a choice do you like that no do you agree with it or do you not like it if you don't like it then you have another choice
0: yeah Or, you know, maybe as you were saying before, um, you know, in the beginning, your your friend, uh, woman in sales, every no is a maybe. Yeah. Right? <laughs> so turn that around. <laughs> turn it right around.
1: There you go, Ashley, for sure.
0: I'm in full circle. <laughs> Perfect. Uh well, thanks so much, Wendy. Um, where can people find you online if they want to get in touch with you? So uh would you mind just sharing your social media handle or your email address? Sure. Or-
1: sure. Um so uh, you can find me on our website at uh, crewnetwork.org. Uh, I am on social media. I am on Twitter at, um, uh, that's terrible. I don't remember. Um, at Wendy underscore crew, I think is my Twitter. Um, and then I'm also on LinkedIn and you just search Wendy Van and you'll find me. Happy right. to, to talk to people. And thank you so much, Ashley, for having me on. Great questions, fun conversation.
0: Of course, of course. Thank you again so much. Um, it's always great to hear your insights, especially on such a timely um, and important topic that we've covered here today. Uh, really appreciate your time. I know you're very busy. So thanks uh, for taking some time out of your busy day to sit down with us today.
1: You're quite
0: welcome. Thanks everyone for tuning in. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure not to miss the next one. Visit go.crexi.com slash podcasts. That's go.crexi, C-R-E-X-I.com forward slash podcast and sign up to get the very next episode delivered straight to your inbox. You can also subscribe to the Crexi podcast on your favorite podcast app or check out our YouTube channel at www.youtube.com slash Crexi for video recordings of each episode. Goodbye, stay well, and we'll see you next time.